As a bucket, pelvic health disorders cost the health system about $100 billion annually. Overactive bladder, $70 billion. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast brought to you by Fem Health Insights, the leaders in women's health market research and consulting. In this show, we have meaningful and provocative conversations with Fem Health experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interview Missy Lavender, founder and CEO of Renalis Health. Missy has been an innovator and activist in the space of women's pelvic health for over 20 years since she experienced symptoms following a difficult childbirth. She was driven by the lack of relevant and accessible treatments for most people, especially those outside of major metropolitan markets and lower income folks. Using her background as skills in business, she first founded a successful nonprofit, wrote three books for females from seniors to adolescents, and was instrumental in creating award-winning evidence-based pelvic wellness programs for persons assigned female. In 2017, she founded Renalis Health to create evidence-based digital therapeutics for pelvic health disorders in females, starting with overactive bladder. In this interview, we discuss what is overactive bladder and how it differs from other pelvic health conditions such as urinary incontinence, Renalis' product CC, a mobile enhanced digital therapeutic delivering cost-effective, accessible, and engaging behavioral therapy to patients with overactive bladder symptoms via their smartphone or smart device, and we'll learn about the cost of this condition to the economy and women's lives. This is a great opportunity to learn more about the less discussed versions of pelvic health disorders. Learn more about Renalis at renalis.health. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Missy, welcome to the show. Hey, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. I remember the first time that we met in person at a conference, you had messaged me over the app and I said, oh, I'd love to talk to you. I'm the lady with the pink hair. It's back when I had pink hair and you were like, okay, I won't miss you. I don't think. And sure enough, we found each other. (laughs) You forgot to mention the uterus earrings and the dog in the pouch. Oh my gosh. That's right. I did say that, didn't I? In in case pink hair wasn't enough, I had my chihuahua with me and the uterus earrings on. So very easy to find. That's hilarious. I forgot my own self-description. Um, well, Missy, I uh, actually don't know you too personally. I know a lot about your business. And so I love our first question, which is tell us more about who you are. Um, I'm, I'm interested to learn more about your your previous career. You know, what did you study? What have you worked on? And, and how did you end up working on this? Yeah, thanks for asking, Brittany. So I began my life in the finance world. So I got my MBA in real estate finance and went off to New York, did real estate investment banking. And that's where I thought I was going to be. And lo and behold, you know, life delivers you new experiences, sometimes unexpectedly. So I had a baby about 20 years ago. And the little guy, we like to say babies take souvenirs. So he took his fair share and literally delivered me into a new career when I very luckily got to really gold standard, you know, kind of high, high quality healthcare um, that launched my both uh, path as a patient, but also curiosity on fixing, you know, what, what I saw as a big disparity between um, the, the amount of people going through things like I was and the access and equity care. And so you jumped into equality, healthcare, empowerment, you know, what was your first move? How did you start to work yeah. on that? So I'm sitting there in this doctor's office and we're going through my experience and, you know, I'd read all the books and, you know, what to expect when you're expecting. And as she started ticking off the, the things that happened and my risk of ending up as a full on like pelvic health disaster, you know, I had, you know, painful sex things, you know, my body was like falling out, um, leaking when I didn't want to, um, lots of stuff that I kind of missed in that, what to expect when you're expecting chapter. And, I, you know, we started talking about, you know, the, 
the wrong of that. And then I went back and did my good little MBA Googling and, and the dollars, the prevalence, the incident, you know, really got me, got me like mobilized. And so I went back to her and luckily for me, she was like president of the American Urogynecologic Society at the time. So, you know, this rock star female. And we gathered a group of really global researchers and we're like, let's do something, you know, let's, you know, change the world. And at the time, I thought we would do education and support because that's kind of where I was, right? I was soaking up everything I was reading and I was like a train wreck and just, ugh. And we did our first set of focus groups, Brittany, with 120 women at Northwestern that we put out a note, you know, I mean, literally like on, you know, um, the bathroom stalls, we were going to do this. And in two days, we got, you know, 60 women in each night. And they were like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need something that makes me better. Like I need action, Jackson. Wow. Like, huh. So that co- also coincided with this woman who was the executive director at a YMCA called me up one day and she's like, you know, she knew me through one of the people that was working with me. She said, I think we have this bladder problem. You know, we've got this hallway between our ladies locker room and our pool that always smells like urine. And could you create a program for us? And we were like, wow, like think of who goes to the Y, right? Like moms, women over 50, like that's like the demographic for having issues below the belt show up. Mm. So we started this analog program, you know, literally, you know, pelvic wellness workout, you know, is kind of a move and learn, you know, let's, while we got you, we're going to teach you cool full body exercise program based in your front, back and floor. But because we knew these women were probably like everybody else, really um, undereducated about what they were experiencing, we actually put these little nuggets of information into the program. So every time they'd come in and they'd start building out this this fitness program, they're also learning about here's your pelvic anatomy, here's um, some of the things that can go wrong, here's the things you can do to maybe help yourself, and then here's you go see if that doesn't work. And because my team that had helped me developers were all researchers, they're like, let's put a validated survey pre and post, and let's see if this makes a difference. And shockingly, like we were finding statistically significant or what looked to be improvement self-reported, of course, because that's the, the, the surveys that we use in this space. But it's it led us to do a, a research study, then a, then a multi-site study, and we ended up publishing um, five different studies based on different groups of women. And that's kind of where I started, the analog version of what we're doing now, if you will. Wow. That sounds like a really informative program. And honestly, a lot of femtech companies have those aspects. We call it the femtech trifecta, right? A great product or service, but then they always have educational content and community. And so it sounds like, you know, YMCA is like these classes of women getting together. You're educating them about it. Um, and, and you, we're seeing results. That's fantastic. What, what happened next? <laughs> So what happened is, you know, we had become a nonprofit at that point, Brittany, because frankly, funding, like within a year, we had people like Pfizer or Estella saying, hey, if you were a 501c3, we could write you a $100,000 check. And we're like, okay. Uh, sure, sure. Right? <laughs> yeah. right? And I didn't come from that space. It wasn't what I intended, but we built this amazing, you know, Women's Health Foundation, it was called, organization. But I really, you know, what we were doing, we had a, we had a t-shirt that said, you know, we're changing the world one pelvic floor at a time. And, you know. That was great, but I really wanted, like, it was really frustrating to me every time I got a group of women together, you know, to see these like head nodding when they were, you know, learning about stuff and how little everybody knew and how they were being dismissed by their doctors and all this. So my partner is a a urogynecologist. He's, he was a fellow at, you know, Loyola Medical Center when I met him, which is where I sought care. And he was a biomedical engineer and had this crazy little bladder app that he'd created um, when he was a, when he was a student and we just got together and we're like, you know, how do we change the world a million pelvic floors at a time? Mm. Um, and this was, you know, back in the late, you know, 2018, 2019, you know, the world of digital health was really just starting to take off. Mm. And so what we decided is to take this grounding, this analog program and really bring it into a space that people, you know, could sit here on their phone, not you can see that, but, um, and get this information privately and, um, so we started, you know, Renalis with the, with the focus of let's create not only things that you can access via your smartphone, but let's create something that can actually help. Mm-hmm. So everything we've ever done is on, you know, like let's have the science behind it. So, you know, we really started with, you know, trying to understand the biggest conditions, the biggest pain points, 
Um, and not just for patients, but also, Brittany, for their providers, um, because we know that pelvic health as a category is challenging for a lot of the people you know that we're seeking care from. So how do we create a tool that actually helps them with their patients? So um, we created a, a, an excite. We were excited about the platform. Her name is Cece. So she is a she, her tool um, meant to really take this this education and put it into a patient journey based around the data that the patient puts in around their symptoms, their quality of life, some digital bladder diaries. And, and, you know, the goal is to see if we can actually make her better. You know, if we can actually improve, you know, her symptoms, maybe enough to that's all they need. Yeah. I love it. I have a few questions. Um, we are talking about pelvic floor health and then you keep saying bladder. And so I understand your urethra that you pee through, you, you urinate through is in your pelvic floor. And I know that urinary incontinence, so not being able to like hold in your, your urine, if you're sneezing or laughing or jumping, but you're saying bladder a lot. Can you please tell our listeners where the bladder is, how close is it to the pelvic floor and how is pelvic floor and bladders connected? Yeah, great question. So this is probably the biggest aha moment for a lot of our users. They're like, what is a pelvic floor? It's a weird name, right? For a muscle group. Mm -hmm. So think about like the last, you know, kind of the buck stops here when it comes to your torso. Mm -hmm. So at the bottom of your, of your body, you know, kind of at the base of your pelvis, um, kind of your hip area is this basket of muscles, right? It goes front to back, side to side. And through it, there are three openings. If you can see that. So you've got your urethra, your vagina, and your anus, right? They're all kind of held up. It's actually a, like a little figure eight of muscles, if you will, around the openings. Um, and then supporting, you know, really everything. It's, you know, it's really, we talk about core, we think about front and back, but you've got the floor and they're all connected. So the bladder sits kind of right behind your pubic bone. And it sits, you know, if you took a side view, you know, it's kind of like you know, bladder and then uterus and then, you know, anus and rectum and all that, they're all kind of smashed together. Hmm. So if you have any kind of issues with your pelvic floor having sustained damage, like mine did during delivery, things start to fall, you know, and you get structures that are trying to hold on and keep things closed, not able to do that. Mm-hmm. So what you just referenced, you know, is one type of bladder issue, which is called stress incontinence. You know, the that little sphincter trying to hold things closed in your urethra is just not able to do it because it's not as supported as it needs to be by the rest of the team. The other group of bladder issues is something called overactive bladder. And that's actually where we're starting. So most of the bladder related companies out there right now are working on some version of things to help you with kegels or to keep that, you know, that stuff, that pelvic floor strong. Overactive bladder is actually the gotta go, gotta go thing. You might've seen those commercials. And that's that sudden and often frequent urge to go really badly, like right now. Mm. And what's happening is your bladder is like having these uncontrollable spasms that Mm. might make you feel like you need to go to the bathroom, even if you just went like 20 minutes ago, you just had them. I saw that. Yeah. I was like, cause I knew, and that's why I wanted you on the show. Cause I was like, we have not talked about overactive bladder. We've been talking about leaky bladder, you know, like, but, mm-hmm. um, and when you're describing the anatomy is the, is the bladder in the center? Uh, like, is it lined up or is it on the left or is it on the right or does it matter? Yeah. Well, no, it does. It does matter. <laughs> so, so it comes first and then, you know, the vagina is behind it and then the rectum is behind that. So if you think about your openings back in our little, whatever oh, there. Yeah. yeah. So urethra, I got to get my openings, right? Urethra is on top, vagina is in the middle and then rectum below. And if you, you know, if you get the mirror out, you see the tiny little urethra, the more vagina we're more familiar with. And then the anus, you know, kind of the bottom, you know, behind, you know, in front of the rectum. So that's your body. So from, we like to have people look from the crotch shot, right? Cause they're like, where's my urethra? It's like, it's down there. It's at the top, you know, the top of these openings. Yeah. And the bladder, how far is it from the urethral opening? That is a great question. So it depends on your body. Um, just like, again, if you got the crotch shot out, the perineum is the skin, you know, between the vagina and the rectum. Some people have a long one. Some oh, yeah. people have a short one. Everybody's bodies are different. Yeah. So some, you know, our urethras are, you know, they're small, right? It's, you know, it's kind of like, Imagine the big red balloon, you know, this, which is the bladder. We like to use that analogy. And then you've got the knot for the sphincter and then the little urethra is that part of the balloon, you know, after you tie the knot. 
Um, very different than like men, you know, their urethra goes the whole penis. These, these, these are small. Um, and they, you know, obviously they're important because, you know, there's a, there's a sphincter at the top of the urethra, there's a sphincter at the bottom of the urethra, and it all has to work together. Uh So you just mentioned leaky bladder. That's another point that listeners should know. I can have over an overactive bladder and not leak. Okay. I can, yeah, I can have an overactive bladder and make it to the bathroom. I can have an overactive bladder and not make it to the bathroom. Mm. It's really about that sudden urge, which is called urgency, you know, the level of the urgency and then whether or not I can get to the bathroom is important, you know, before I have to pee. And then it's really also a frequency thing. So you and I, you know, kind of a, I hate to use the word normal because it's just such a bad thing, but yeah. you know, a usual person who's not over 65 should be able to hold their bladder, you know, to, to drink a normal amount and hold, you know, hold the urine in their bladder for about three and a half to four hours mm-hmm. without any kind of underlying neurological issues. If you're going to the bathroom every half an hour, 45 minutes, even an hour, then your bla- your frequency interval needs to be challenged, right? Mm-hmm. We need to try to address that. So that and would be the not f- just an urge. It's like they actually do have to urinate. That is such a great question. So they may, someone may go to the bathroom, think they're fully emptying their bladder, get up, walk around in 20 minutes. Oh my gosh, I really have to go. And, and guess what? There's more, there's more urine okay. there. So what is that about? Yeah. So one of, one of the biggest tips and tricks that we teach, you know, that CC talks you through is this concept of really going to the bathroom. Like when you, have waited your interval, whatever it is, you know, and some people have to train to get that interval back. Right. You know, we trained it during potty training and we kind of thought oh, yeah, about that's true. We did. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? Then we forget about it. I mean, think about that. That's the last time anybody talked to you about your bladder mm-hmm. and here you are at 50 or, you know, you're perimenopause in your forties and suddenly your bladder is out of control. And it's like, Holy crud, like this isn't supposed to happen, but you've been doing nothing to take care of it. You've been like, it's out of sight, out of mind until it's not. Mm. So, so if I go to the bathroom, I want to really, here's, I'm going to just give one of my favorite tips and tricks. Um, and we, and we built these by serving all sorts of experts from providers to people in the industry, whatever. One of my favorite uh, people, she's actually on our advisory board, used to be the head of urology for um, Pfizer and she's practicing urogynecologist. She's like, I just want people to know to sit. Then these are assigned female people sit down and take two, like just drop your pants, pull your skirt up, whatever, sit on the darn toilet. You know, there's been enough research. We know they're not that dirty. The floor is worse. Line it, you know, make it, we always say, you know, keep it neat, make a seat if you have to. (laughs) (laughs) Gold out in the, you know, whatever. But sit down. And the reason, Brittany, that's so important is back to our pelvic floor. So our pelvic floor is hanging out, keeping everything closed until it's ready for us to relax so that the bladder can contract and things can come out. So that's the point. We have to relax our pelvic floor enough so that those, those openings can open and urine can come out. Okay. So you do that. So you're sitting down, ha, you know, we want to do some breathing. We want to take our two minutes. The other trick is back to our balloon. Remember the balloon analogy? When the bladder is full, kind of a big, shiny, you know, it's not a big red balloon, but it's, you know, it's an organ like this. When it's emptying inside, there's little crevices, kind of like a crumpled up, you know, baggie, if you will. And in those crevices, urine can hang out. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're rushing or, you know, sometimes we're like, you know, at sporting events, we're like, go, boom. You don't get it all out. Right. And so we, we tell people, here's another chip, just like do a little rock and roll on the toilet. Still sitting there, hanging out, doing a little, you know, oh, little swirling. <laughs> I'm already knowing what TikTok I'm making for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets those little, you know, maybe the little urine amount of fluid that's in there. You know, again, you relax, keep it relaxed. Because as soon as you contract it, it's like going to hang out. So it's these kinds of things that, you know, are just life changing to someone, you know. So really sit down, take two use your breathing and then try a little rock and roll and see, it just be like, Oh my God, other, you know, more came out. That's like a big deal. Wow. You know, I'm just thinking about me and my life. I have currently three dogs and three cats. And this morning, all six were in the bathroom with me while I was (laughs) taking my morning urine, you know? And, uh, 
I can't imagine when I have little human babies and how often they're going to be in the bathroom with me, right? Like bothering right. me, you know, oh, whatever. Right. And it's, uh, so it's door. not too hard to imagine that, you know, some listeners, maybe I bet women won't do this, but if you're a man listening and you're like, how are women not sitting down on the toilet for two minutes? Like you, we literally have to like, encourage women to take that time, right? Is that what you, Absolutely. what you found when you give people this, this advice that, you know, I'm sure people aren't like, well, obviously I meditate Missy on the toilet, right? <laughs> like women probably find this almost challenging to take two minutes to themselves to sit there and breathe. Oh, I think we find it challenging to take two minutes to do anything for ourselves. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're like, lock the door. Who cares if they're pounding on it? Just like, because it, it's not just for fun. It's not just like, Oh, that that's what we should do. This is one of these things that if you don't do it, you know, if you just like rush and get up, I mean, again, 20 minutes later, you may have to go to the bathroom again. And then that becomes a cycle. You know, that becomes my life. That becomes the limitation that keeps me in the house. You know, that becomes me rushing to the bathroom because I'm so worried because I'm maybe I don't get there dry half the time. And then I slip and fall and break a hip. So where people make the mistake, especially with overactive bladder, they, people can dismiss it as a lifestyle issue. Oh, they just go to the bathroom too much. Um, well, first of all, let's talk about the fact that I can't leave my house. Anxiety, depression, isolation. We know what that does, right? Let's talk about the fact that I have to rush to get there because I'm afraid I'm going to get there dry. And again, I fall. Or let's talk about the fact that um, I stop doing anything because you know you've just built this beautiful walking path through my neighborhood, but I don't know if I can get to the bathroom because there isn't one on the path. So I don't leave, I don't do any exercise. So there's a lot of comorbidities or other conditions that go along with overactive bladder. And to me, where's the chicken and where's the egg? You know, yeah. I'm like, it's, the chicken's below the belt. Let's, let's take care of their bladders so that they have a little bit more confidence, freedom, literally, um, to be able to, to have a life or even have intimacy, Right. Um, what is, so, what is the typical age of this woman? Cause I'm imagining it's not little old ladies, right? Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell our listeners about who's the demographic of this patient? Yeah, it's a, um, so typically as estrogen levels fall, bladders start to get angry. So there it's, it's, it's an estrogen, um, you know, dependent, or if, you know, th there's a cause and effect there. So we will see people starting to show up in their, I mean, it can be young. You can have a, a child with overactive bladder tell you about that in a second. But um, if there's not neurological issues, it starts to really start to ramp up in perimenopause. And then definitely by menopause, we start getting women who are like, okay, I'm done. My bladder's running or ruining my life and kids are all in school and I need to address this, right? Mm -hmm. Over 65, you know, your incidence does go up. Um, and then, and there's people, of course, with both urge and stress. So overactive bladder and stress incontinence, and that's called mixed incontinence. But, you know, that one we talked about before, you know, there's Kegel things, there's, you know, relatively easy slings and things um, for that one. This one's, this one takes, and, and all the things we've been talking about take time, right? They take time, Brittany, for a provider to share, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, this is part of the problem with this condition, because as a doctor, I've got seven to 12 minutes. I'm not even going to sit down, because I got to be on the yeah. next page, right? And the they're the ones that actually made us come back from another condition we thought we were going to start with when we launched Renalis because they were like, these patients are clogging up my waiting room. I don't have time. They call my practice incessantly because, you know, what do I need to do to get my, my intervals lengthened? And wait a second. I, and they're like, can you just handle them for me until they're ready for me to do my magic? Then, then bring them back. Don't lose them. Cause I'm, you know, I'm an at-risk provider. I get, you know, I get X number of dollars to manage them, especially if they're Medicare. But, you know, they, you know, every patient with this condition, in my humble opinion, should be given a script to a pelvic floor physical therapist. And if they don't have those, they should get CC you know, that, you know, it's kind of the, my fitness pal to the personal trainer, but yeah. And the bladder, you said it's spasming and that's kind of what's causing the signal to them that, oh, I have to, I have to go. What is, was the muscles on the bladder damaged? you know, during something like childbirth or, and I know you said age and those muscles, maybe they have some estrogen pathways that they're depending on, but, um, the spasming though, is it really just estrogen dependent or is there like, I'm just trying to understand, is it also injury similar to the urinary incontinence issue? 
So injuries during, for example, pregnancy, those typically result in the stress incontinence, not yeah. the overactive bladder. But there are other neurological issues that definitely impact overactive bladder. The thing is, is we don't have like the root cause for overactive bladder. Uh, of course we don't. Right. <laughs> right. So we know what we know, the symptomology, we know things that help. We know that a different kind of um, pelvic floor action. So where with, with stress incontinence, I need a strong pelvic floor with overactive bladder. I need these quick flicks because there's two kinds of muscles and this calms it down. I need urge suppression techniques. I need breathing, you know, distraction. Those are the things that can calm it down, but there's also Botox, which is really effective. There's also um, neuromodulation, you know, everything from stick a needle in your ankle 12 sessions to other things being developed. There's there's an implantable device that stimulates this nerve or that nerve. There's a couple of them right now um, on the market that I, I liken to a pacemaker for the bladder. That is actually not the case, but people kind of get it when you say those yeah. kind of analogies. If you fail everything, there's also, you know, the the next line of treatment after PT would be medications. Um, and those actually work to calm the bladder too. There's unfortunately, um, some big side effects and, and costs depending on which kind of medications you get. So, you know, we want to, we want to level the playing field as much as possible with this first line of care, because this is the gold standard of care, behavioral therapy, learning all these things is what the international continent society and the American urogynecologic and the American urological association, everybody's like first line, first behavioral therapy, first. But there's no like one way to get it. Yeah. And Renalis, is it considered a digital therapeutic? Is that what you're going for? Yeah. So we're going for FDA clearance, prescribed digital therapeutics, you know, reimbursement, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We also have a second product that um, we actually have two more products. Um, The second product will add medication monitoring and we're getting ready to launch that in a pilot. That will not be an FDA product. That'll be one that we'll be looking to deliver either straight to patients or through their provider practices. Um, And then we have a general over, you know, urinary incontinence version of CC that, you know, can be helpful to somebody with stress, urge, or mix. This one's in a big pilot study at university hospitals in Cleveland. And um, we pulled our first group of patient data and actually their, their results are almost as good as our overactive bladder therapeutic, which um, we did our, our proof of concept study for last year. And it was an absolute home run. I mean, Huge, huge improvements in symptoms and quality of life. And oh my goodness. Can you please tell our listeners what is a digital therapeutic? Because it's not just an app that helps you. It's like actually regulated. What's a digital therapeutic? Yeah. So that's a that's a really important point you just made. So their digital therapeutics simply means software that treats conditions, right? In our case, it's conditions below the belt. And whether there's a a hardware component to it or not, a wearable, something insert in your vagina, you know, whatever could be there or not. In our case, we're just software. Then there's the question of whether it's FDA approved or not. And if it's FDA approved or not, it becomes prescribable. Mm -hmm. And if it's prescribable or not, then it can be reimbursed. And and right now the industry is going through a little bit of a challenge because one of the big, big companies in the prescribed FDA cleared space just declared bankruptcy. It's in the substance use disorder space. So so from a funding perspective, this is a challenging place to be right now, but to be FDA cleared, you have to diagnose or treat a condition and it has to be, you know, with validated in our case, pivotal, we are, you know, getting ready, hopefully next year to raise the money we need to do, you know, a double blind randomized control trial, you know, pivotal with, you know, a big chunk of women to be able to prove this versus a control works, but Digital therapeutics don't have to be FDA cleared. We're pursuing that path for for this overactive bladder one for sure. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, because there's certainly patients out there who'd prefer not to be on drugs the rest of their life, not have to have a bladder pacemaker installed, right? And because mm-hmm. your your digital therapeutic allows uses cognitive behavioral therapy techniques for them to, to ground themselves. I know you gave us some examples about sitting and breathing and and swirling on the toilet. Do you have any other kind of like tips or is like nutrition part of this is like when you should drink or what you should drink part of this. I'm, I'm just kind of spitballing here what I might think yeah. happens, but yeah. tell us a little bit more. What else could you modify that would actually modify your, your bladder urges? So that is probably one of the most exciting things. So 
when you look at, you know, when I look at people, for example, who get medication, I'm like, that's great. But if you don't learn this stuff, it is just not going to be effective. And you're going to typically be off those medications, 90% of patients in a year, because nobody sat there and, and told them, okay, you're consuming 10, maybe 10, 10 ounces of water, all of it carbonated. Oh, well, I didn't know any better. Carbonation, artificial sweetener, caffeine, we call that the triple whammy. So if I had a Diet Coke can, or in my case, I'm a Diet Mountain Dew addict recovering. <laughs> um, it's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that until I was a patient, until I got to my PT. And she's like, do you realize what you're doing to your bladder? Do you realize that's why you can't get home from the park, you know, dry and without running? So yes, understanding bladder irritants as a group mm. is super important. And it can be also things you eat. So there's a list of things that may, this is a big, big, big word, irritate your bladder. And a little bit like the basic elimination diet, if you, you have a problem, start noticing. I mean, just getting self-aware about what happens to your body after you drink your morning cup of coffee or that diet Coke or that spicy food or chocolate or citrus. I mean, you know, there's a lot. Um, then take it out of your body, take it out of your diet and then add it, add one thing back in at a time and see. But the other thing I want to say is there's strategies. So if you told me to get my coffee, which is, you know, let's, let's go back to our standard of care. Brittany, when you are at a doctor's office, the standard of care of the reactive bladder is a pamphlet plus or minus a script to a PT, which I love, but I got to find one, go to one, pay to one, continue to go to one. And there's not, there's 10,000 of them in the country. That's a problem. The pamphlet's going to say, do your pelvic floor exercises, kegels, um, limit your caffeine. And somebody's going to stop reading right there. Kegels don't work. I'm not giving them my coffee. Boom. Back in my car. Yeah. Well, they're probably not doing the right muscles to begin with. They're probably doing that hard, intense squeezing, which is not the point. So problem number one. Problem number two, I don't ever want anybody to tell me to give up my coffee. Now, what I could do, which I have done, is a couple of things. I, I take a half decaf mocha. Okay, I like chocolate too. Half decaf, big one in the morning. And I know that I'm also going to have my big cup of baby Yoda coffee, water here. <laughs> And I'm going to chase my bladder irritating liquid with water that dilutes it. So that's helpful. And then I space out my other two because I do have two more little guys, half decaf during the day and chase it with water. So that's, that's an aha moment. Like I could do a smaller size. I could do a half decaf. Mm -hmm. Even decaffeinated coffee can be slightly irritating, but one of the most exciting things in our proof of concept study was that the percentage of so people didn't change really what they drank and how much they peed. That kind of stayed the same over eight weeks, but they were they were actively decreasing the percentage of bladder irritants they consumed by over 50%. So that's that like aha moment where I can make a change. And that is the superpower of knowledge. That's a superpower of CC. It's like, I'm going to connect those dots for you so that you can go into your body and take the power back over that right. wildly out of control bladder. That's right. And I know it takes so much practice to like start to feel your body. I know, especially for like trauma survivors. I remember mm -hmm. the first time that I went to a somatic experience therapist and they were like, where do you feel that in your body? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're even talking about, let alone the answer to that question. Um, you know, and even uh, working out, like I have a, I have a personal trainer just kind of helps me keep on track. And, uh, you know, she's always like tighten the core, think about the core. And I mean, honestly, it was like a whole year of her saying to me that every week for me being like, I think I'm doing that. I think right, I'm doing it. And right. now I'm like, Oh, and yeah, no, I know I'm doing it, but I had to build that, like that telephone wire right between my yeah. abs and my brain. So uh, I presume a lot of women aren't usually thinking about their bladder and how they can potentially feel it or relax it. Right. Yeah. I would say that we all know when we have to go. Mm -hmm. um, right. I think that it's a matter of understanding the concept of your brain having the power over your bladder. Cause what happens for people with overactive bladder is the bladder's running the show. You know, mm -hmm. it just got to go to the bathroom 20 minutes after I already went to the bathroom. It's like, well, that was cool. So <laughs> even though I can hold two cups of urine, that's a typical bladder. I'm like firing after I'm like a half full and I'm seeing action happen. So you get this like reinforcement behavior. Yeah. And so part of what we, what we preach and teach is like, let your brain, have the power, take it back from the bladder. Um, 
And you just, you just gave me another thought. I, um, the concept of behavior change, you know, I had, I had a, a person, I'm not even going to go into anything about them. as a person say to me, well, behavior change, like that's not going to last. Right. We find people think behavior changes in health and then they give it up mm-hmm. and they were eating a banana. And I said to them, you know, that banana right there, if you ate a banana and every time you ate a banana, you threw up, do you think you would eat any more bananas? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, that is the thing for a bladder patient. If my bladder is right here, running my life, ruining my life, but controlling my life, and you can teach me a few of these things, I can tell you as a patient, I gave up my Diet Mountain Dew. I, it's painful. You know, I mean, I loved it, still do, but I know the cause and effect now. Yeah. And I didn't before. And so, again, giving somebody back control, basic control over the bodies is like, life-changing, especially in our seniors, you know, they're, everything's a slippery slope, right? Over 70, 80, you know, whatever. It's like, first of all, they have no problem talking about anything bladder and bowel related. Secondly, it's like, wow, that I can make that change. I don't have to get up 10 times a night, you know, understanding yeah. that habit. Well, I actually want to talk about like the other cost of overactive bladder, because it's not just like inconvenience, right? You just mentioned getting up at night. I presume there's some potential. Has anyone studied overactive bladder effect on like sleep hygiene, um, other, other effects in their daily life. And then I'd love for you to talk about, um, like overactive bladder in the workplace, you know, how is this affecting bottom lines of businesses? How is it affecting the economy? So tell us a little bit about the other burdens of this condition that we may not have originally thought about. Yeah. So, so let's start with nocturia. So that's nighttime, you know, getting up to pee Um, again with or without leaking. So you've got the fact that sleep hygiene is affected and some people literally are getting up 10 times or more at night. So that just bleeds right into, or leaks right into their, you know, daily presenteeism at work, absenteeism, even, um, just the whole quality, you know, they're, you tend to eat more when you're tired, you know, all the things we know about people that are, you know, have insomnia or other sleep issues. Um, and so that's, a, that is a huge problem. Um, and we, we really, really need to address it with people. And then, you know, again, if I show up at work and I'm getting up every 30 to 45 minutes, or I'm afraid to even go into a meeting with my colleagues because I'm going to need to leave. So that that leads to people making changes in how they work, where they work. Imagine you're a shift worker, or you know, th- there is a thing called nurse's bladder or te- teacher's bladder that you know facetiously called that way. You know, I can't go to the bathroom. This kind of goes the other spectrum. I can't go to the bathroom because I can't leave my class, or I can't you know leave the line or whatever. Those people's bladders just stop signaling. They're like, well, that didn't work, you know, and that didn't work. So they get what's called overflow incontinence and, and they kind of have a different issue. Then those people need to be, you know, like taught a schedule because they've lost their, their brain is not registering what their bladder is sending to them. Wow. Wow. It's kind of similar to like anorexia or sometimes you lose your sense of like feeling hungry or feeling full because you've kind of pushed that feeling down so far. Um, yeah, I didn't really think about the, the people who can't just run to the restroom. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on right now from NIH looking at, um, prevention of lower urinary tract symptoms as, as they're kind of called in a nice bucket. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the problems, Brittany, is we don't have a lot of research until this consortium was started seven years ago on what a normal bladder is like. You know, what's it like for someone who never thinks about their bladder and goes every three to four hours, all the data, all the published research until, you know, recently was on abnormal or not working or not functioning. So the um, NIH about uh, probably eight years at this point, you know, gave money to the National Institute of Digestive Disorders and Kidneys or NIDDK and said, you know, let's create this big consortium of researchers. Let's, you know, come up with, you know, the research needed to understand what a healthy bladder looks like so that we can work on prevention campaigns that hasn't that there's a big national study going on right now, but we haven't gotten to prevention yet. Meanwhile, we're just like all about that, you know, yeah. let's just, let's get in there and shift the paradigm and change the world. Let's get this power into people's hands so that they can get control over their bladder. And, and to your point about costs, yeah, people with overactive bladder have significantly increased direct medical total healthcare costs you know, um, outpatient costs, inpatient costs, 
some of it because they have these other comorbidities that we've talked about. Um, other other things that's you know can be skin infections. People tend to wear pads a lot because mm-hmm. they don't know if they're going to leak. Maybe they don't leak every time, but as soon as I leak once, I'm going to wear a pad, and I'm probably going to wear the wrong pad because nobody's talked to me about incontinence pads versus you know femtech pads, the ones I'm comfortable buying because it's in that comfortable aisle. Um, and I don't want to. Whoa, whoa, wait! You're telling me the pads for urinary incontinence are different than the pads or, or overactive bladder, or whatever, which either is different yeah, than your menstrual pads. I, I know, like who knew? Yes, and so let's start there. So chemically, you are absorbing a different thing, yeah. right? So blood is different than urine. The smell of blood is different than the smell of urine. And what do you think people are most concerned about when they're leaking pee or poop? You know both is smell. Like it's so shameful. So I want, I should want as patient to be wearing the right pad and things like cost have been a factor for patients. And there's, there's lots of data out there about, you know, getting the right pad, absorbing it, let, you know, not buying the wrong one, which is going to, you know, get wet faster and et cetera, et cetera. So that, that is really important for people to know buy the right pads. It's going to serve you well from, you know, absorbing the right thing and smell, but also, you know, we have to get over the fact, and, and I can tell, tell you the story of going down that aisle. Like I can go down the, you know, menstrual health or whatever it's called these days at CVS mm-hmm. Target. But the first time I was in Target and I actually needed, you know, a poison depend or whatever it was, Pat, you know, I had to ask for it. And this kid was there, this child, you know, young person. I'm like, so my mom has this condition and I'm like, where would I find the depends? You know, yeah. he's like, oh, it's over there in the like incontinence aisle. And I was like, oh, I don't want to own that title. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go down that row. You know, I kind of slunk over there, but I made up this whole shtick. And and I was a, you know, I was a grown up person. Yeah. So you've seen people make the changes, you know, Walgreens and CVS, and they call it bladder health or I don't know what um, yeah. these days. But, but still, uh, I didn't know that that was, you know, you couldn't just get regular panty liners. Like I thought panty liners were just for urinary incontinence. Oh no, panty liners. They do have them. They have from little ones to absorbent ones to, you know, underwear that's also an absorbent product and looks much better than it did, you know, 10 years ago. So But it's uh, not in the menstrual health aisle. It is in another no. aisle with the 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 pens and the I'm imagining in CVS, I use I think I usually in my mind when I think about where do I see these, it's usually next to the like um like the canes. Walkers. Like walkers, right? In my yes. mind. That's how I see it. Like I see those Ugh. and then I'm seeing a walker. So even I the know. placement is just kind of insulting and scary. And of yeah. course you mentioned, oh yeah, my mother, she's uh, you know, really old and you really right? old. So like <laughs> Yeah. I mean, people can get this stuff now, you know, shipped to you on Amazon and in brown paper bags and all that. But we did actually go to one of the major retailers. Um, again, I'm not gonna name names. Um, several years ago and said, look, let's do a pelvic health initiative as a store, yeah. right? Think about below the belt, how many conditions? Yes. How and much all money the, they're making off of these conditions. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, again, we talked about, you know, you can get rashes from wearing pads all day long because you're keeping that moisture there. So you can have ointments and treatments for that, but also branching off, you know, there's lubrication, there's yeast infection stuff. There's obviously pads. There's there's probiotics, there's adjustive enzymes, there's things for bowel health. I mean, you know, we think about leaking, bleeding, chronic pain. There's a bunch of things that if you made it like, here's my one-stop shop. Oh, and by the way, we make all the healthcare decisions. So we'd be in there buying other stuff for our family. So yeah, they, that, that was a little bit too weird for them, but it's been a while. Maybe somebody else wants to do it. And if they do, please reach out to me. I'd love to help. All them. Missy up. We're ready for pelvic floor health month. Come on. Y'all. Right. Pelvic <laughs> health center of like healthy yes. pelvis is what we want to call it. So let's do that. Um, and has anyone studied the economic burden of overactive bladder? Yes. Yeah. This is one of the main drivers, Brittany, for when we looked at the different health conditions that we could address first, again, burden to the provider, burden to the patient's cost. So as a bucket, pelvic health disorders, again, think leaking, bleeding, chronic pain, that costs the health system about $100 billion annually, most of it direct medical costs. Overactive bladder, $70 billion, right at right at just under 70. That is ridiculous. And you know, to me, if you're going to bend the cost curve, we got to start at the basics. Mm. You know, we got to come up with a better option than a pamphlet, 
and we got to make things like pelvic floor physical therapy more accessible. So th- this is a huge driver for me. Just It's just ridiculous. And then is there adequate funding at the NIH to study overactive bladder? Is there ever any over? I, any, I was like, that's such a question. The answer is no, I'm setting you up. <laughs> well, there's never adequate funding for anything that is disproportionately female. But I, well, okay, here's the thing anybody with a bladder can have overactive bladder, and about 16% of the patients are persons assigned male. So, got a bladder, you're in our sights. We'll get there eventually. Um, but there, there are a couple of cool things happening. So, um, the Office of Research of Women's Health, it's not its not a funding entity, but it, it is an institute. They had an RFP out for um, people writing grant submissions. We just submitted one last Monday uh, for under-researched chronic conditions that disproportionately affect women. And they called out overactive bladder and urinary incontinence specifically, which was like, oh, oh. yeah, so that was cool. And we're actually moving one of our big initiatives moving forward the next year or so is we want to bring, we've always had everything we've ever done through time, also in Spanish. And as you know, it's it wouldn't just be the case to like translate CC into Spanish, right? There's a whole culture, making her culturally relevant. So the grant we wrote was actually to make our broad bladder health tool culturally relevant, because that one's actually focused on primary care providers and patients. And then we're going to write another grant for an SBIR for a small business innovation research grant to take our therapeutic into the Latina market. Super excited about that. That is awesome. We just had Stephanie Fertig from the SEED NIH speaking at our conference yesterday, Revitalize. And um, I mean, she was like, email me, email me all. There's a lot of money. Like uh, we can find it uh, in different pockets, you know, not necessarily, there's no Institute for Women's Health, but Department of Defense has a big healthcare budget. And um, if you can make an argument for, you know, any female in the armed forces or females that are married to the armed forces, like um, veteran affairs are taking care of them. So um, really, really interesting uh, thing there. So I'm glad that you're applying for SBIR. And then um, you, you just mentioned culturally relevant. I just really quickly want to ask what is, um, how is peeing different (laughs) based on cultures? Uh, What would you suggest differently based on someone's culture? Yeah. So I would say that this is exactly the research grant that we are applying for. So in my former life with our, with our other company, we did a research study um, based on my experience at my first American Urogynecologic Society annual meeting. I'm sitting there next to my primo doctor, you know, head of my board at the time. And I was like, Hey, where's the research on black women? She's like, right. And I said, what about like Latinas? She's like, very under research. Now this was a while ago, right? But still wow. the case, we know that, you know, any ethnicity outside of white women, you know, white people wow. is lesser studied. So we did a focus group study and we, we looked at um, women that were black, a lot of black immigrants. So not just African American, but black women above and below 50 Latinas above and below 50, trying to get a sense of their vocabulary, what they knew, what they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And other than UTIs, you know, urinary tract infections, it was kind of like a lot of blank stares, like, like, why do I care? Um, even though we know the incidence and prevalence of things like both stress incontinence and, and specifically overactive bladder is high in these populations. Like black women have a higher rate of overactive bladder than Caucasian women. And some of that's tied to weight. You know, so obesity is a factor. Diabetes is a factor. Um, foods are a factor, as we talked about before. And Latinas right up there with, with Caucasian women. So we're in our, in our research study that we're submitting, you know, we're going to do a series of both, you know, survey data and also focused focus groups, probably redundant, um, focus groups on, you know, trying to get a sense of not just what they know, but okay, we've got content in CC that's already written, but does it make sense to you as, as a Latina? Like, how would you talk about pelvic floor is a great example. Like here's how CC talks about your pelvic floor. Here's how she talks about contracting it. Here's how she talks about urge suppression. Here's how she talks about whatever. Explain that to your mom for me. Like, how would you talk to your best girlfriend about that? Do these words even, you know, make sense? So, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, we'll be able to reflect that back to them. And um, so they're, we have a really excited research team. I'm super excited about the possibility of doing that. Um, Missy, this is so awesome. How can our listeners engage with you? Do you have any products that are already on the market or do you have uh, like 
studies or trials they can enroll in? Tell us how we get engaged. Yeah, so we're, um, they can email me at missy at renalis.health. Um, we are getting ready to have, I think there are going to be four pilots kicking off, you know, from California to Illinois to Ohio. Um, and one in the middle that I'm that I'm forgetting right now. Um, that uh, we will be recruiting patients. Um, they are, they're going to need to get screened. But OAB is another one of those. Overactive bladder is another cool product. You don't actually need to see somebody in person. I just need to rule out that you have, you know, pain when you urinate, bleeding when you urinate, or, or recurrent UTIs. So if, if they email me, I will direct them to the right place. And we are also going to be putting several things up on the app store, including our very cool bladder diary, which we are going to put up and take down when we bought. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot coming. So happy Amazing. to hear that. Missy, thank you for all you do for all the bladders out there. You're incredible. <laughs> and um, thank you. I really appreciate being here. It's a joy as always to see you. It's always good to see you, Missy. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to my interview with Missy Lavender, founder and CEO of Renalis Health. Learn more about overactive bladder and their digital therapeutic at renalis.health. Okay, Fem fans, it's time to get engaged. If you love the show, then you'll definitely enjoy reading our weekly newsletter. Subscribe at femhealthinsights.com. While there, you can also join our virtual community, which has over 1,000 Femtech founders, investors, and advisors you can get insights and feedback from. We have an active events calendar, jobs board, and much more. Please give our social channels for Femtech Focus and Fem Health Insights a follow. The links are in the show notes. And don't forget, sharing is caring. Send this show to a friend or colleague and keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.